we do everything by consumption and by doing and by action, we've got to do a lot more in action in this area if we're going to save the planet. Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Silverwood. And our guest on the podcast today is the inspiring, amazing Sarah Wilson, award-winning author, minimalist, philanthropist, climate activist, the list goes on. In this conversation, we get right into the incredible journey that has seen Sarah really go full circle. She started out life in rural Australia with a very simple upbringing, but then found herself at the height of consumerism, editor of Cosmopolitan, and kind of in a world that really didn't match her values. So this about face has now led to her writing some profound texts. Her recent book, uh, This One Wild and Precious Life, is a deep journey into deconstructing the state of the world, particularly around capitalism and neoliberalism and just how far down this rabbit hole we have become. And so it really is remarkable to see Sarah as such a bold voice now for the kinds of changes that we need to see in the world for a better future. Before we get to the podcast, just a quick update on how things are tracking with the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest 2021. Not long to go now until we wrap up the campaign and I really wanted to send a special word out there around the HP Generation Impact Incubator. This is the program for those 35 and under residing in Australia who are innovators and entrepreneurs working to improve ocean health. We would love to see some more applications, so have a think. Who in your network might be suitable to win a $40,000 cash prize, HP technology, expert mentorship from OIO and HP? This is a really remarkable opportunity for someone out there who is 35 or under, residing in Australia, and looking for some help to accelerate their ocean impact. Make sure they get their applications in. You've got until the 21st of September to submit your online application, and then, of course, your up to three-minute pitch video. For now, we'll head over to the podcast with Sarah Wilson that was recorded on our Instagram Live. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation of the Ocean Impact Podcast. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. I hope it's not too dark there, Tim, because my I've got no light ring and I've got my phone propped up with my headphones kind of jutted into a pot plant. <laughs> so is it okay? Can, you can see me? I can see you and I can hear you crispy clear, so I'm happy if you're happy. I'm happy. <laughs> How are you in your heart today? How's, how's life in, you know, getting the first day of spring in 2021 for those in the Southern Hemisphere? Yeah. Um, Look, I'm in a great place. I, I, not much has changed with the lockdown except for the fact that I just watch a lot of people's abject pain and dismay and also a lot of the polarisation uh, and distraction away from issues that I think are more important and that is the climate crisis, to my mind. Um, and, uh, but, yeah, I'm in a space of making the most out of a confined situation um sometimes when you're when your parameters are narrowed you can actually expand quite a long way you know what i mean like when you're yeah. rendered choiceless it can be the ultimate freedom that's how i see it 
Yeah, I think that's going to be a big thematic in our conversation today and just how you are able to to be your best self and to be a, a shining light for so many. You're such a remarkable communicator for so many people. Um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great gift. And, and as long as your heart and your head uh, are held in a safe space, safe space through that journey, that's the most important thing because we need you to be at Thank your you. best. <laughs> oh, that's very, very kind. Thank you. And I think it is a vigilant approach that everybody who is concerned, and I'm sure it's everybody um, on this call is concerned about the environment. And it's a really interesting thing. And I'm going to distract from introductions and everything here, but Audre Lorde, who was a black activist and poet, um, she invented the term self-care in the 1960s as a term or a concept that black activists needed to adhere to, the idea you need to look after yourself so that you've got the energy to be of service to the collective, you know, in, in such a radical fight as the black movement. Um, unfortunately, you know, neoliberalism has taken that term to mean just look after yourself. Uh, and who cares about the collective. Um, but I think there is something to be said that we need to get vigilant and sturdy in ourselves to, and, and, and to, fit, to, to extend love to the others doing this kind of thing um, so that we can fight as heroically <laughs> as possible because we need that. So thank you for saying that. That's very kind. I'm touched by it, Tim. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no, and it's something I offer up as a, a lot of you know words of wisdom. Should I ever be asked for them in, in a mentoring capacity? I, I did a mm. podcast with Tom Allen on the Impact Boom podcast last week, and he asked that very question, you know, for, for people that are working in these impact-driven roles and really extending themselves to try and regenerate and restore bit social or environmental issues. And it really is so important that you are at your best and you you do have to be a little bit selfish there because you know you're extending yourself out there to try and mm. help address things that are so so big that you know it can be it can really drag you down i'm sure you've um you've been through some of those challenges in the past yeah that's absolutely right let's um give everyone listening in today just a bit of a chance to um understand more about sarah and particularly where you find yourself now and those bold issues that you that you address, where did all this sort of come from? If you wouldn't mind sort of diving into particularly nature and wild places and, and maybe even a bit of context around the ocean. So a bit of a, a bit of diving to the origin story of Sarah to, to shape the person that you are today. God, it's a long story because I'm old, Tim. So um, I'll try to keep it really short. Um, I, I grew up in the country and for me, and I grew up anxious, really deeply anxious and cerebral and complicated and weird like to be honest and so I spent the way I coped was sitting in trees quite literally like if my brothers needed to find me I was up a tree you know generally just contemplating the world that's what they used to think they said Sarah was just looking out to the horizon she needed a better view of what was to come and um I think that's how I used to cope I used to cope as a teenager when I was living in in sort of suburbia by going and climbing trees um and doing three o'clock in the morning walks in nature to cope with what was now I realized and I was diagnosed with a bipolar brain you know, um, so nature has always been just intuitively myself in the absence of anything else. You know, back then there was no diagnosis, drugs or anything like that. So um, 
I that's how I coped. So I've always known that to be the case. And then as I've got older, I've relied on it more and more and more. And I just get drawn to it. And I've written all my books while hiking in nature. As soon as I get to a stuck point, I have to go and just fling myself into bushland and run, you know, in dirt. And it was mountain biking for a while. Um, so and then and then ocean swimming. You know, I took up ocean swimming when I was living outside Byron and I used to go down and, and I, I need to extend myself. I need to go to my edge and I go to my edge to feel alive and to get inspired and that's partly a bipolar thing and, um, and the physical edge is the most convenient place to go to. It's quite easy to go and find something physically slightly risky in this very risk-adverse society we live in and so for me ocean swimming in sharky waters was quite a good way to go about it and so and and I realized it was a great way for me to get away from humanity which is is something I need to be able to think clearly so I live in Bondi now and I've been here for a while I was on the northern beaches for a while and you know in my nomadic journeys around the world because I lived out of one bag around the world for eight years in Greece and and generally wherever I could find nature. And so here in Sydney, the best place for me to find nature was in Bondi, Um, partly the ocean. I get in there every day uh, in summer. At this time of year, I've just got no constitution for cold water. Um, But uh, I would swim across and I'm a really bad swimmer. I take it really slowly, but for me it's freedom. It gets me in touch with the vibrancy of why I'm alive. But also living in Bondi I don't own a car as you know I ride a bike everywhere and I can get out to all of the national parks from Bondi Junction Railway Station so my thing is it's one train down to the Royal National Park and down to Cronulla and all the parks over at Bundina and and so on Uh, and then it's sort of a two train system up north you know and out to the Blue Mountains so (laughs) it's a that that's how I connect and I guess that explains a little of my story but yes look I'm an activist um I'm a writer I was a former journalist and I specialized in the dark side I trained through news limited and I was the editor of cosmopolitan and then I was a a tv host um funnily enough um master chef and a bunch of other cooking food shows lifestyle health shows on foxtel for a while it's it makes no sense my cv (laughs) (laughs) i want to talk a little bit about sort of the current cv now and um you know being such an advocate for uh, waste minimization minimalism and, and really this sort of sense of of living simply and and I suppose resisting the the pressures and, and the demands that come across us as consumers. But maybe just to sort of dive into that last little piece where you left, you know, what was it like when you found your career meandering into these places that it sounds like were maybe not really that aligned with your your DNA from what you you've expressed there. So, you know, do you want to sort of unpack is that just a, a passion and a career and, and a pursuit of success like what got you there and then what got you to sort of realize this is not actually where I, I want to be right now well I don't regret doing any of it and it's a bit like the Steve Jobs commencement speech that he did to Stanford at some stage where he went he had lots of dots when he was younger they made no sense they're random things that he did but it wasn't until he got older and he saw the dots all were leading somewhere they joined up and you've got to get to a certain age before there's enough dots on the page to see that it was leading somewhere, you know. So for me um, at the time, it was opportunities that just kept coming to me. I did not 
I don't, in fact, I, I know I've never had to use a CV ever in my life. So I just sort of went from one thing to the next and I went where the opportunities were. And I always felt that I was better off preaching to the unconverted. So I worked for tabloids because I also got lots of opportunities. I hate to say it, but as a young left-leaning female, I was able to tick three boxes for News Limited and they gave me an opinion page. I shared it with Andrew Bolt in the Herald Sun and I was the youngest opinion writer in the News Limited stable. And I, that was an incredible opportunity. And yes, I was given a mandate to talk about stuff, you know, like homeless people and I don't know, the, the rudeness of developers wanting to take over caravan and camping grounds that had beachfront access, you know, things like that. And so I got a fair bit of um, traction. So it was great. I capitalised on being a female, the token female left-wing voice, you know. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I sort of learnt skills in that space. And then editor of Cosmo, it came along. I, I told them I'd never read the magazine in my life. I've got no interest in hot pink or hair straighteners or anything like that. I'd never worn makeup. I'd lived in Melbourne. So I was living in Melbourne and was flown up to, 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 to become editor at 29. And I was like, oh, well, if you think I can do it. And, you know, I brought election issues. I interviewed John Howard and Kevin Rudd in the, um, you know, the Kevin 07 campaign um, on what their take was on you know, a whole range of different things. Um, I got rid of the biscuits in the and donuts in the office and replaced it with fruit. I mean, I was annoying. <laughs> um, um, and then, uh, yeah, and, and look, I learned a lot. I learned so much. I was thrown in the deep end, but I also learned skills about how to connect with everyday Australians, you know, and so that enabled me to do everything that I do now. Um, and I can see that it all joined up. I love it. Yeah. And that's a great lesson for so many people out there that, you know, you might find yourself right today in a moment where the dots just don't seem to make sense. But when you do get the opportunity for hindsight, and as long as you feel in your heart and your head that you're edging in the direction that you want to go, you might just look back and it'll all be a beautiful masterpiece. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and once it did, I'm very lucky. Once things when uh, I've learned enough and this is feeling wrong now to your point about it it grating up against my values once that got intolerable then I generally exploded out um, there was no choice but to leave and so um, with Cosmo and with MasterChef there was a moment where it was like I can't do this anymore and I announced my res resignation and I am a killer resignation letter writer it's like <laughs> I, uh, it is without equivocation that I issue my resignation, like don't try to make me stay. Um, you know, I'm out of here and it's, it's absolutely best for everyone. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yes, I've known when to leave, put it that way. Oh, very good, definitive. Let's talk a little bit then about what I was um, going to launch into before, minimalism, low waste, living simply. Um, you know, I'd just love to get a little bit of a glimpse of you uh, from you as to, to, to where you're at now and, and how it feels, I suppose, to, to talk about things that maybe you've always wanted to talk about, but the climate now is, is ripe for us to really launch into these things. And obviously from knowing my, my history and experience in this space as well. So yeah, a little bit of a snapshot of, of, of what it all means for you and, and why this is 
the time for yeah. you to be launching into these areas? Well, I guess, I mean, I haven't launched into it. I've just been living it. And now people actually want to listen to it, you know. Um, The ABC, you know, contacted me and said, oh, we want to do something on minimalism and um, and so on. And so I did a a special for Compass. But I had to actually educate them. And this probably answers your question uh, to some extent. I had to educate them and on this is not about an aesthetic. It's not about throwing things out so that you have less stuff in your house. It's like not... It's about not buying things in the first place. And it's a mind shift because we we do everything by consumption and by doing and by action. We've got to do a lot more in action in this area if we're going to save the planet. So a lot of the climate solutions, um, the reason why they really smell of greenwashing to me is they're still working to that consumption model. Um, so minimalism is often about throwing things out or buying storage buying storage containers to put everything in um, and throwing things out so that you can then go and buy a Scandinavian minimalist clean surfaced version of the old cluttered thing that you had. And that's got to stop. That's just ridiculous. And the idea of then taking it to St Vinnie's and thinking you're doing some noble thing is like we've got to be aware that they can only sell up to maximum 5% of the gear that they get sent. The rest of it goes to landfill. And don't kid yourselves, it's not being used for anything else. And, in fact, it gets packaged off to Asian countries that then dump it in their landfill or worse, out at sea. So don't kid yourself that by passing it on, and I almost think there should be an edict, and they have these kinds of things happening, equivalent types of things happening in Europe. If you want to donate to a thrift store, You've got to basically get X percent of your clothing from there to start with. Like, because I think to myself, of all these people that donate, how often do you shop at a thrift store? And I can guarantee 95% of them have never stepped inside one other than to dump it in a bin outside the front. So um, it is not the solution. Minimalism to me is about not buying anything. And you know the minimalists, that Netflix series Mm. and there's a book and everything. They're the worst for it. I mean, the opening Mm. scene, they're hurtling down a freeway with takeaway coffee cups on the dashboard. I mean, honestly. um, And then it's all about chucking stuff out. It's an aesthetic ideal as opposed to a moral um, sort of way of living. So, yeah, part of what I try to do is to try to make it look as cool as possible. Like I've got to, you've got to make the new way look sexier than the status quo. Otherwise humans don't buy it. Um, and so I just try to show that the way that I live is more efficient, it's more elegant, I have more time for, like, you know, I have a hashtag, hike, don't shop. Like, when you go on a hike, like, it takes a whole day, but it's a really great day. You kind of get your coffee and you get your food and you get on the on the train and it's an awesome excursion. I meet people all the time along the way. This is outside of COVID lockdown, of course. And then it's... You know, it's, I get my exercise done, I get fresh air, I come back, I'm exhausted, put on a load of washing, have a nap perhaps, and I don't know, cook dinner. And that's a way to spend a day. And so my life has this, you know, I try to, you know, I take Instagram photos because it's all about creating, you know, atmospherics. Um, and I essentially am on Instagram, Tim, to create a sexier version of life because it doesn't work otherwise. So yeah, that's the way. That's the way I do it. I just try to make it look cool. My years of Cosmo has helped with that. <laughs> I know how to. I know how to make things kind of sexy. I guess that's a skill set. Yeah. 
Do you think there's something like with the Marie Kondo and the minimalists and this sort of huge boom in that, is that because certain people who had maybe gone too far down the trail of being hyper-consumers needed that antidote, that vaccine to come back, whereas perhaps people like you and I, we grew up with a much more deep-rooted sentiment around that relationship with waste. Like my version of minimalism, I'm, you know, maybe not dissimilar in the sense that I have stuff, I have heaps of stuff, but it's stuff that I've accumulated over mm, my entire quality. life. It has, it has substance, it has meaning, and yeah. I, I don't mind having the stuff. It's not like a lot yeah. of stuff is coming into my home and not a lot's going out. It's just, it just is. Does that come yeah. from your sort of upbringing and your maybe grandparents, parents? Where do you think that comes from and, and, and the difference between, you know, hyper-consumers and, and, and people that have got this innate sense of, I don't want to be a wasteful person? Mm. Um, well, you're very generous to say that um, the Maria Kondos and so on are sort of, I don't know, what is it called, <laughs> an entry drug? Uh, gateway yeah, drug, a gateway know, drug. Um, I, I don't. I think they're a complete destruction, and they're just buying into right. the capitalist system, the the neoliberal way of doing things. So it's a distraction, and I think we should ignore them, frankly. Well, case in point, yeah, when that Compass show, and you show that you go to their website, and it's just a it's a shop. It's a shop to buy stuff. You're talking about minimalism, spatulas, and storage boxes, and shit you don't need, basically. Um, so. Yeah, um, to, where did it come from? For me, it came from living uh, on a subsistence living property with poor parents, basically. My parents had no money. They were broke. They weren't poor. Dad always says, Sarah, if you're going to talk about this, say we were broke, not poor, because he thinks that poor is a mindset, whereas broke is just a state of affairs. <laughs> um, and, you know, we built everything ourselves and there was no rubbish collection service. And um, I talk about that in the show, the couple's show. And so it's just kind of how we grew up. But then my brothers and my sister and I, we just kind of worked out this is, this is the smart way of living. Like we ended, we ended up getting good jobs and had a good education in the end, you know, public school education, but, you know, managed to kind of do quite well all this three of my brothers and my sisters repeated like it wasn't easy like we didn't get a nice sort of you know swoosh through the education system and it certainly wasn't privileged and and so on but um you know we ended up all right and so we could actually go and start buying shit right but none of all my brothers and my parents we ride bikes everywhere and we're you know as a result none of us are fat you know none of us have gym memberships either um and so we just we just like getting stuff done my brothers build things and we love making things and we have lots of time to go they've all got kids and stuff but and full-time jobs and their partners work full-time and they work in aid around the world and different things but they live outdoors they you know go camping and every weekend and things like that and so I suppose it's created an elegance like none of us complain about being too busy because we just don't have dumb, I don't know, storage solutions jobs on weekends and we don't go to the mall and a whole heap of that kind of thing. So for me, um, I think that message needs to be about making this easy, making it make sense. And, you know, there's some nuances that people don't get and you're absolutely right. I buy quality, you know, so I bought a jumper during lockdown to support a friend of mine who I knew was struggling. She's got the fashion label Jack and Jack. I think you know the guys. Mm-hmm. It's a good quality Australian label. Their stuff lasts forever. 
ditto. I mean, I the stuff I've got, some of it I've had for 20 years, 25 years. I buy stuff that lasts. I hand wash where required. I enjoy hand washing because, you know what, I've got time because I'm not at a shopping mall. And, um, you know, and it's a process where I care about things. Um, and so, yeah, when I do buy, I, I have stuff. I've got a beautiful bike that I built 15 years ago and I treasure it, you know, my bike. And, you know, everything I have is special and generally the expensive version of things. But I still yeah. save money in all directions. So I don't know what the original question was, but I think it answered it. <laughs> Yeah, I guess the next step in this is to sort of say, right, well, it's wonderful that um, that people like ourselves and, and many, many others, a growing tribe, are, are embracing a, a new way of consuming, or maybe they've always been that way, and there'll be some others that are reformed consumers. But, you know, is this notion that we can spruik <clears throat> around your individual behaviours, you know, this growing tribe changing their ways... Is that going to take us to where we need to go? Is it enough or is it simultaneously we need to go much bigger, which is a, a step into mm. the next um, conversation point around capitalism and neoliberalism and just how big the machine has got and how much it's hurtling into the future and taking a lot of collateral damage along with it. Yeah, so a lot of people say to me, what's the point of, I don't know, using a keep cup when you've got a government that subsidises fossil fuel companies, rah, 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 rah. So an individual action will only contribute a very small percentage um, in terms of reductions in carbon emissions, which is what this is all about. If you're going to care about anything, it's carbon emissions. Reducing plastics, doing this, doing that, great. But if you actually want to steer towards what really is going to, like, save our asses um, in the short term, it's carbon emissions. So um, individual actions ostensibly don't seem to really cut through if you look at the, you know, the, the numbers. However, what I would say is that care begets care. And government institutions, in this country, unfortunately, it's not government that's going to shift us. It's going to be industry. And the greatest, you see this all the time, we are in the same circles. It's, it's business initiatives. It's the big gun business people who are making the difference and give me the hope um, at the moment. And what they're doing is they're listening to us. They're seeing us. They're seeing the trends towards keep cups and the desire to have less plastics in the ocean. They're the optics, right, that are going on in the world. And the zeitgeist has shifted. And the wonderful thing about capitalism is it is agile and it's the system we've got. So I don't think we're going to get rid of it, right, in time to save the planet. So let's work with it. And um, that is about sending signals to the big brands. I mean, I'll give an example. Brad Banducci, the CEO of Woolworths, right? I see him around here. He knows what I'm about. Mm. I annoy him. Every time I see him, I'm right, Brad, what are you <laughs> doing about me? And, um, but he follows what I do and he has helped me out on initiatives and they are starting to shift their behaviour. And I'm not saying it's because of me. It's probably me and a whole bunch of people that he sees around the neighbourhood caring. He goes, our consumers right, and we're all a Woolworths or a Coles consumer in one way or another somewhere in the country because that's the options we've got, that's the state of the play. Um, but what we can do is when we can actually just show these business leaders, and that's why protest is so important, right, those climate protests mm. are key because I can tell you every CEO is watching the news and seeing how many people turning up, and it's not a whole heap of green-leaning ferals, it's everyday people, children, old, you know, baby boomers. So... 
so individual action like this, caring about this, living differently is, 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 is addictive. It spreads. Action begets action. Care begets care. That's how human nature operates. We are tribal. Messages can spread so fast. And, it's, and, and messages of care and kindness and curiosity, they spread the fastest. And that is what's going to shift the dial. That's what's going to save us. So every time you care, what, you know, during COVID and you go and get your coffee from a place that lets you use a keep cup and you walk back down the street and you pass 20 people who see you doing that, that is a message of, oh, my God, somebody cares, right? And then they might be inspired to care a bit more and off it goes. And by the end of the day, you've created a, a shift somewhere. So we've got to do that. The other thing I would say, Tim, is that, for us to then go and sign the petitions and vote differently and divest our super and change banks, we've we've got to be engaged. We've got to actually be engaged at a personal level and get a kick out of it. And you and I know we you do get a kick when you do the right thing. Humans want to do the right thing. And we don't want our overwhelm to actually numb us into this horrible kind of what I call an acidic cocoon, you know. The alternative is to be the, the obese dude on the couch who has allowed the flaccidity just to take over and he's got a remote in one hand and Twitter in the other hand and they just go, I don't care, right? That is what happens when non-care begets non-care. It, it collapses like dominoes. That is the option and that's where a lot of people have gone and so we've got to get people out of that um, it's that the amygdala shuts down, flight, fight or freeze. And a lot of the world's gone into freeze or overwhelm. And the way to get out of it, and climate psychologists talk about this now, is through action. Any small kind of action that makes you feel like you're moving the dial in the right direction will get you out of it. And that, that is what we've got to do collectively. So it's, it's a chicken or the egg thing and, and it's both. <laughs> and you need both for the chicken and the egg to kind of come about. I love that. So many great points in, in that, Sarah. Um, yeah, particularly around, I suppose, the, the idea that those behaviour changes when you have a sphere of influence walking down the street, people see you with your keep cup or using digital communications to, to share that positive influence. But taking on that challenge yourself and embodying that, that challenge is, is huge, right? So they're all wonderful and great. So how do they work in synchronicity with obviously the, the bigger conversation here is that something needs to shift and, and perhaps it is shifting. Maybe this is going to be one of those dot paintings and you and I in five or 10 years are going to look back and see the artwork that led to some significant changes. But what you mentioned, obviously, you know, voting and, and politics, but what are the big things that can disrupt it at the upper echelons whilst we're doing our best tribal efforts at the other end of the spectrum? What do you really looking towards at that, at that upper level? Well, I'm only interested in things where I can actually have a say because otherwise I'm just a victim waiting for somebody out there to fix the issue, right? So we can talk pie in the sky stuff. Oh, so-and-so needs to do this. ScoMo needs to do this. All right, well, what are we going to do about it? So in terms of tangibles that we can do and be engaged in, the biggest thing is we've got to vote climate. And how wonderful. We've got an election coming up. You know, it's going to either happen in October and there's rumours that it may happen in the next couple of weeks we'll find out uh, or it'll happen March April next year 
based on economics and safety and security for SCOMO, of course, but we've got to be prepared. So it's a great time because I think there is a lot of concern and I think there's a lot of pissed offness happening. So the one thing that I'd say, and this is what I'm working on at the moment, um, I'm probably jumping ahead in terms of your line of questioning here, but I'm working on something Go that I just it. came up with on the weekend. I was like, you know, you and I are in the same circles. There's lots of underground grassroots movements uh, occurring to get female climate orientated independence into key marginal LNP seats around the country. And we only need three additional climate orientated independence to hold the balance of power no matter who's in labor or liberal when that happens then we can start to actually shift policy in around our terrible climate policy or lack thereof um, so that's one of the most hopeful things happening at that higher echelon level and so what i would encourage everyone here to do is follow my movement which started on sunday and it's a hashtag at this stage but it'll expand beyond there because you've got to just start where you are it's vote women in Hashtag vote women in. And I am mobilising a bunch of funds and a bunch of other things um, that will start to happen pretty quickly to get everyday Australians aware of these incredible grassroots movement. I know that, Tim, you're aware of things happening in your electorate. Um, the key electorates for those who are interested are Wentworth, that's sort of around the Bondi area, um, McKellar up north on the northern beaches where you are, Tim, and North Sydney as well as Hughes, where Craig Kelly's based, um, and a bunch of seats. There's about 10 to 12 seats. Keep an eye out for this movement. Hashtag vote women in. Thank you, Jenna Foxy. Um, and um, I'll be explaining further. And we can shift the dial, and it's going to be quite simple, and it probably will happen, right? <laughs> so that's one thing that you can do. And you can spread the word, even if you're not in one of these electorates, spread it. And I'll probably expand the campaign to actually go to uh, seats, marginal seats where there's a progressive female climate orientated candidate, either an incumbent or one from the major parties. Might be Labor, might be Liberal, might be Greens. So that everybody can know who to vote for to vote climate. And with a female voice that will incorporate the intersectionality of ICAC, Indigenous rights, equality which is where we're all at. The world, Australia won't be a, 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 plant, a, a country to be proud of unless we address those things. So there's that. Um, we can also work with where we put our money. So divesting our banking, our superannuation, our investments to sustainable, legitimate um, outlets. So marketforces.org is where you can go to look at where your super and um, so on can go. Um, and then I think Greenpeace has got a fairly outdated, oh, sorry, market forces will help you with your banking. Um, and in terms of electricity providers, uh, Greenpeace has got one, I can't remember what it's called now. It's a little out of date, but it still seems to be quite relevant. So switch your electricity provider to one that um, will only use renewable energy. Um, and it, there's so many out there now, PowerShop, blah, blah, blah. There's a whole bunch of them. Do that today. It literally takes five minutes. Like, and, you know, there's a big campaign at the moment with against AGL, which most people are with. Get out of there. Get out of there. Don't believe their greenwashing messages about um, carbon sequestering because that's just greenwashing. So they're the things that I would say are the exciting things. And watch what industry's doing. Industry is doing cool, fun shit because they know the writing on the wall. And we are about to be terribly taxed 
So polluters are going to be taxed by the EU, America, Canada and Japan in coming years with a carbon tax. Because we don't have a carbon tax here, they're saying, well, listen, if you're not um, taxing your producers for their emissions, um, we don't want you, like, it means that, you know, you get to come and sell your products into the EU, which have a very high carbon tax. Um, We've got to create a level playing field. So we're going to tax you the same amount that the producers here get taxed. Oh, but we'll keep the money. Now, if Australia had a carbon tax, they wouldn't be doing this. And the taxes would be going to the Australian economy to build footpaths and, I don't know, solar farms, you know. So um, that's something to keep an eye out for. Industry is going to be very severely taxed, very severely disadvantaged in current in coming years from a trade point of view, and they're going to be doing their own thing to ensure that this doesn't happen. So that's where I get my hope from. Love it. Some great advice there, folks. And for those of you tuning in from around the world, so this, this conversation around the, the Commonwealth political situation is that you know, we have a, essentially two major parties. Uh, neither have been particularly proactive or bold on climate policy. And so the opportunity that Sarah's talking to is to elect independents who can uh, shift that balance of power. And as uh, she was saying, only a few I think three seats to, to topple to independence can really change the game and, and we can really start to put Australia on the front foot. And yes, of course, um, you know, divesting is really important. Uh, we've obviously got a partnership with Bank Australia who are one great financial institution in Australia who you can look at for your banking and, and mortgage needs, um, superannuation as well. There's great providers like Australian Ethical and Future Super and many other Esther. emerging. Esther, yep. We love as well, you know, the B Corp movement. So this whole idea of putting your money where your values are can, can be as simple as just consulting the B Corp Australia New Zealand website and looking at those brands who have chosen to go through the very rigorous process of identifying how they can meet their, the expectations of themselves and their community mm. on people, places and planets. So um, really great stuff. Um, we'll start to wrap things up pretty soon, Sarah. So we've gone deep and we're talking about all these big things, but um, I want to sort of loop it right back around to nature. And I've had a couple of people passing comments as the Instagram Live is talking about this beautiful book, um, this one wild and precious life. People saying this is the the book that was that I was meant to read. It was you know written for me. It's it's, it's a really gorgeous book, and at its core, it's um, taking on these bold subjects and really big ideas but bringing it all back to, to nature as that salve and that place where you get your inspiration. So um, where, where next for you in nature once lockdown is done or what are you doing at the moment to, oh, to connect with nature I'm in lockdown? Yeah. <laughs> I'm desperate to get out camping. I've, there's a small mm. backyard, an allotment of grass out the back of my apartment and I'm like tempted just to go and hang out a few nights in my tent because I miss my tent so much. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm maxing this five-kilometre radius business. Like, um, I have got to know every little pathway and green route and I've taken up running again, which um, I haven't done for many years, just simply because it's a way to kind of scramble in and around these spaces. I mean, I'm lucky. I I mean, lucky I have orchestrated things so that I pay astronomical rent to live close to the ocean, right? So that's Mm. where I prefer to spend my money. And so I um, 
you know, I'm able to get down to the ocean. I'm allowed, I'm able to get down to the beaches and the rocks and cliff faces. And I just go exploring on rocks, just touching rocks and scrambling and feeling my body moving and fending and being, you know, just alive. The vibrancy, I need that vibrancy to access what the hell life's meant to be about. You know, I need to, to see it. So I do that. Um, yeah, I'm reasonably happy. I mean, the Walt Whitman quote um, roughly uh, I think goes something like, tone your wants down low enough so that you can appreciate the stars and the sun. And really that's mm. what I'm practising as a meditation at the moment and it works. So life has got very simple. It's enabling me to do um, some good work, some creative work, and it's, it's quite a bit of fun. Um, I'm also aware of the distress and the sadness and the dismay and bewilderment around me at the moment. And I think going back to your point of getting strong and sturdy so that we can, you know, as many of us and all of you listening here, you all obviously care, otherwise you wouldn't be on this podcast and following Tim. Um, I think, you know, we, we need, there's a, there's a call to action and I, I quite love it. Many action types are a type, so we like given, being given a meta purpose. And our meta purpose is to get vigilant and sturdy and strong for what are going to be even tougher times ahead. So I use nature as a reflection of that. You know, nature bolsters when it's required. It gets strong and sturdy. It also slaps us down when it needs to do that too. And we've got to listen to all of this and we've got to ride it out and we've got to get, we've got to get philosophically and spiritually sturdy as well because that is what the world's going to need. So the next movement that I'm preparing myself for, so after the election and I've done that work, Vote Women In, um, my work and my energy is going to go towards um, not mitigation but adaptation, getting people adapted to the new normal because we don't have the old normal anymore. Um, you know, the COVID distraction, while we've been distracted with all of that, the planet has changed. And the reality of what life is going to look like in 2050 when our children, you know, grow up, it's going to be very, very different and we've got to get used to it. And psychologically, it's going to require a lot of assistance, I feel. So that's, I don't know what that's going to look like yet, but that's what I'm committing myself to in whatever way I can be of assistance and service. Mm, fantastic, Sarah. That's really exciting. Um, yeah, it does feel like we need a, a bit of a stock take in the next 12, 18, 24 months, however long it's going to take just to recalibrate and and mm. yeah, start to really reach out. So one question come through around the names of female oh, yeah. climate activists for voting. I mean, That's I know right. that, um, yeah, the, the voices of uh, movement is where a lot of these independent candidates have formed. So it's an apolitical movement whereby, you know, electorates just reflect on who their current candidate is, how they're tackling these big issues. And, and explores what an independent could look like. So you can look up voices of, and I think there's something like 70 um, electorates around the country where that has taken place. The other website I found really helpful through my process was this, was one called theyvoteforyou.org. Or I haven't heard of that. Mm. Essentially, they've gone, it was, it was modelled off uh, 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 one in the UK, but they actually, they qualify and quantify how your current sitting member has voted on issues ah. and it's really well partitioned. So, because you quite often find, particularly when some of the current um, incumbents are, are threatened, 
they'll bring out this incredible skill set. My, my local member is a, a perfect example. And they win people back over with their prowess with words and Mm-mm. particularly, you know, motivated spin. But when you go and look at the data, you can see unequivocally how they actually, you know, vote on these issues your you me- might care your about. Your member in question, and I've gone to that website now that you've explained it, um, has voted exactly the same as Craig Kelly on all climate and equity policies in the last three years. I've looked it up. Same with yeah. my member in Wentworth, Dave Sharma. So, yeah, it's a great website for looking at that. But to answer the question for Sprout Nutrition and anyone concerned, um, the candidates haven't been announced yet. And that's not um, something to be alarmed by. It's, um, it's deliberate in many ways because um, if you have a look at the way that Zali Steggall came to be, it was a movement that agitated and then they came up with a candidate. And it's because if you come out too early, the Libs in particular will do a character smear campaign over, coming, over various months. And um, so that's the, that's the mentality behind not announcing anyone too early. But just know that the movement is alive, it's powerful, it's got backing, it will emulate the Zali Stegel approach of finding someone who's got legitimacy, who's got strength, got um, courage and, and so on, and um, will be a very, very good candidate. Um, so I think North Sydney is close to announcing. Wentworth and McKellen um, are still holding off, but it will be announced in time for the election. Just get aware of it for now. Start talking about it. Um, you can join these Voices of Wentworth, Voices of McKellar, I think it's called. There's various groups. North Sydney is called, I've forgotten now. But there's, there's also Wentworth Independence. They are all talking to each other, but they're attacking things from slightly different angles. They'll all be working together. So don't get confused by it. My hashtag vote women in thing will all be about explaining it as we go, as the information comes to light, as you need to know it. So um, just... Uh, Stick with me on that and in a couple of weeks I'll have a website, I hope. <laughs> so all this information will be there in one spot. Wonderful. Uh, well, as we start to wrap things up, um, I'll obviously just, again, uh, spruik all your wonderful uh, books, podcasts, your communications channels, just if you, uh, for whatever reason, finding Sarah for the first time via the Ocean Impact podcast, then there's plenty to go and take a deep dive in. <laughs> Um, was there anything you wanted to, to, to talk about today, Sarah, that we haven't got to yet before we wrap things up? No, um, just everyone keep caring. I think somebody's asked, a few people have asked if I would run for politics. I um, No. <laughs> I, I, I value my sanity and I think I, I have been approached um, by a number of electorates to do it and I would love nothing more than stand up there and talk plainly and in truth. Uh, for a change and maybe make that more charming than the status quo. However, I think I'm better put to use being of service to those who want to go and be in that realm. I'm better off being here, agitating, educating, um, steering people to the right information. I've I've sat and thought about it and that's what I feel is more important right now. I have no desire to be, I've no desire to go back to Canberra. That's where I grew up, uh, apart from anything else. Look, obviously, I'd make that sacrifice if I thought I was the best person for the job, but I think there's other people that are better at it. And um, the only other thing is I've got a podcast called Wild with Sarah Wilson, which is relaunching as a weekly podcast uh, in oh, mid this month. So look out for that. Great. There's some fantastic conversations there already, but I'm sure you'll go into hyperdrive. Uh, with a weekly podcast, <laughs> you've got to be yes. on, on your toes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's fun, isn't it? Talking mindfully with people. 
It really is. And just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a real gift, I think, you know, to be able to have access to people and to take yourself on a really remarkable journey and, of course, your, your listeners as well. So on that note, we'll thank everyone for tuning in. Um, you can find plenty more episodes of the Ocean Impact podcast out there and obviously take a deep dive into, into our mission um, just by doing a little Google. But, Sarah, thank you so much. Always a Thanks, pleasure. Thanks, Tim. Thank you so yeah. much from everyone for your wonderful work. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for everyone tuning in with all your comments. I, I love reading them. I, I learn a lot from the comments and questions. So, and thanks for your work, Tim. I'm sure we'll cross paths again. It'll be good to have a coffee again down the track. Okay. See you later, Sarah. Bye. Bye.